It's been nearly six months since California went into lockdown because of COVID-19. Despite this, most schools remain remote. While San Diego County has the authority to reopen schools, the region's biggest school districts have decided to wait until the numbers improve further. However, smaller school districts, like those in North County, are deciding to take a slightly different approach by starting a phased opening for a select group of students. Here's what you need to know. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Deborah Brennan, your reporter covering a number of things in North County, including schools. Let's start with kind of the big picture. Uh, broadly, what has been the strategy for North County School District when it comes to reopening? Well, I think most of the districts plan to go back in a hybrid fashion before the school year started, but the numbers for COVID weren't there. The state directed them to start virtually only. So now that our numbers have come down, we're off the state watch list. They're taking a cautious approach to reopening slowly in phases, um, recognizing that some students are going to be most vulnerable to learning loss during this time and trying to start with those groups. Mm -hmm. And why have they chosen to take this strategy while, for instance, San Diego Unified and Sweetwater have chosen to wait until the numbers get even better? Have they kind of explained the difference in strategy? Um, I think that they are just making individual decisions that are based on their local conditions. Um, I am not sure if the um, these districts have, feel that their COVID numbers are better or their ability to uh, deal with social distancing with their student populations is a little more manageable. Um, I can't really say why San Diego and um, the South County districts are, are choosing to remain in entirely virtual mode for now, but I do know that the North County districts are saying that there are certain students who are really um, detrimentally affected by um, the learning loss in the absence of in-person education, and they're trying to target those groups. Um, mm -hmm. Those include special ed students, English language learners, um, as well as, in some cases, foster youth and um, homeless youth. So these are students who maybe have um, need more intensive services um, or maybe need the one-to-one -one instruction and um, may have more disrupted home environments that make it hard for them to learn uh, online. So most of them are starting with those groups, um, having them come back in short stints, maybe a couple hours, a couple times a week for some targeted interventions to help them along. And then gradually looking at reopening to their general populations uh, around the end of this month or maybe in October. Hmm. Yeah, you're kind of hearing that nationwide in which when schools are finally able to start reopening, the first kind of people let in the door are, you know, students with individualized learning plans, students with disabilities. So it kind of makes sense to start with the people that have the most to lose by not having that in-person instruction. Right. And a lot of parents have been telling us, as we've reported on this, um, a lot of special ed parents have been saying it's really hard for their students to focus on zoom calls for six hours a day it's it's hard for general ed students to do that let alone students with learning disabilities and moreover a lot of the students particularly in the moderate to severe category get a lot of services at school they get speech therapy occupational and physical therapy adaptive pe they may have one-on-one -on -one aids or instruction and you really can't deliver those online they just don't translate very well to the virtual environment so those 
parents are saying their students are seeing regression in terms of both their learning and their behavior, and they need to have that stability and that support at school. Um, and I think with English learners as well, there's the sense that you really need to be face to face to teach somebody another language. Um, so, so they're trying to make sure that those students don't fall deeper into these learning gaps and then, um, and then move ahead with the rest of their student body. Mm -hmm. So kind of broadly, what is the strategy of making sure that parents of these students know that, you know, in-person instruction is coming a lot sooner than everyone else? Uh, is there kind of like a strategy to make sure that connection is made? Because I imagine, for instance, some ESL parents and as well as you said, like foster and homeless youth, that would be another barrier. So what are the strategies to make sure that the people know that these services are available for those that just need them? Well, I know I'm. I actually haven't heard anything yet about their communication strategies and how to reach those families. Um, I know that they're sending out a lot of messages, making phone calls. And then as far as um, uh, students who have been participating in virtual learning and maybe falling through the cracks a little bit, they've been targeting those families, making individual phone calls, if necessary, home visits. So I think that they'll probably have to use some of those same strategies again if they aren't able to reach them through the um, kind of the, the broader communication methods. Mm -hmm. And at this point, uh, do we have a plan if there's another spike in COVID cases and schools have to close again? Um, I think the plan is that they would go back to full-time virtual learning um, mm -hmm. if, if that happens. Um, so I think everybody's bracing for that. And that's another reason why they're trying to do it slowly. So you don't have this on off kind of back and forth where they have to continually adapt their, their education model to the changing conditions. They're, they want to see numbers going down before they come back fully. Um, mm -hmm. And I think also that having some students on campus in small groups will hopefully help them to uh, fine tune their social distancing strategies and their um, hygiene and sanitation procedures. Uh, most of these students will be going back in groups of um, like eight to 12 students at most. Um, a few cases, um, for instance, a dual language program in Vista Unified is, is going back full time with 20 students per class, which is still relatively small. So I think they're going to um, probably take the lessons they're learning with these initial groups and try to apply that to protective measures for a broader student body. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a little bit earlier of, you know, special education students uh, regressing during this time. But, you know, di digital learning, virtual learning hasn't been helpful for the majority of students. There's been lots of learning loss. Can you kind of characterize what you're hearing from either parents or education leaders about, you know, how much ground has to be retaken after what was lost earlier in the spring? That's an excellent question. I think they're still trying to figure that out. I know some of the districts are doing assessments as they start the school year, like kind of quick assessments of students to figure out where they're at and, and what they missed out of the last semester. For instance, with Vista Unified, they have short online assessments they're doing or with um, the very younger grades, kindergarten, first and second, they will be doing that in person when they get back to class. Um, in the next month or so, um, just to see where they're at and what they missed. And um, they're going to be providing interventions and um, additional tutoring or, or instruction for students who really missed a lot, um, particularly with kindergartners from last year. 
they, they lost some of the basics of reading that they should have gotten that last third of the year. And so they're going to have to work on rebuilding that, but also moving ahead with this year's curriculum at the same time. So they're kind of having to make up those gaps as they're moving ahead with the new school year's material. So it's, it's a lot of, um, it's going to be a lot of juggling for them to manage all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, many students are struggling with virtual learning. Uh, it's it's hard to be online for six hours a day, and it's hard to connect with your teacher and classmates in the same way that you do in person. Yes, I've been seeing online horror stories of parents having to deal with, you know, first and second graders Zoom calls. Like, I can't imagine, you know, being a parent of a young child at this time. Like, it's one thing if it's a high schooler, but, you know, when someone's very young, it's very difficult to both cross this technological gap and also, you know, just the loss of structure that school provides. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the, the, I think for the youngest students, too, they're not only developing academic skills like basic math and reading, but they are developing their social and emotional skills and learning to um, communicate with other people in you know, a socially acceptable manner. And that doesn't really happen online. So I think they're going to have some making up to do once they get back to school. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And at this point, there's going to be, you know, a variety of plans for different districts. It's all going to be kind of confusing in the short term as uh, these North County schools kind of take these first steps. Uh, what do you recommend as the, the best way of kind of getting the, you know, clearest information from your district? To, what would your advice be to a parent in North County at this time? I would recommend that they look very closely at their school website for any updates. A lot of the superintendents are giving um, weekly or um regular updates on what's happening with the next step. So they should watch for that. They will probably also be getting calls and emails from their districts So definitely pay attention to those to find out um, about the key dates and any preparations they need to make beforehand. Um, a lot of the students, when they do go back, will be on staggered schedule. So they'll have to know what time their student arrives and what days they're on campus. So they should be getting that from the district. If you're not getting that in the next few weeks, you should contact the district and find out where that stands. Another thing they can do is listen in to the um, school board meetings since there will be continued ongoing discussion of uh, updates to this plan, whether they um, go ahead with it as planned or if they need to uh, adjust it given changes in COVID numbers. Um, the, the school boards will be considering that. So that's a good way to learn what's happening next. All right, Deborah Brennan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. During the pandemic, the graphics and data team at the San Diego Union Tribune has been updating the latest statistics on COVID-19 every day. The UT is joining with several other California newsrooms to better collaborate on stories about COVID-19 in California. The coalition includes the Los Angeles Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, KQED, KPCC, CAP Radio, CalMatters, and big local news based at Stanford University. To see the latest COVID-19 data in San Diego County, go to uniontrip.com slash tracking coronavirus. Until next time.